be seated. Most of us are people of routine. We keep our schedules, we do our jobs, we stay in our own lanes. But sometimes our routines become ruts and we miss God. It takes something big, something extraordinary to get our attention, to wake us up, to make us see beyond ourselves and notice what God is up to. In the book of Acts, we see God do just that, something big and extraordinary. He established and unleashed the church. With just a handful of emboldened eyewitnesses and a story of good news, God forever changed the world. He did more than anyone could have imagined, and he still does today. So don't miss it. Let's open our eyes and see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We have been praying this prayer. I hope that you have been praying it. If you haven't, it's never too late to start praying. The prayer goes something like this. God, help us to dare to imagine what you can do and give us the faith, give us the eyes to see when you do it. I hope that you've been praying this type of prayer even before we put this on the screen, even before this sermon series, looking for God's work, requesting, humbly requesting God to work in your life and in the world. It's been encouraging for me to be in different groups over the past several weeks or with different individuals and and maybe we're having a meal together or we're spending time in prayer together and I hear these themes come up in the prayers being offered. What an encouragement that is. And And I think maybe for you, for me, for us, as we think about this prayer and different aspects of this prayer, maybe it's not so much, God, please do this, this, and this, and then when you do those things, I can check that off the list, and I'll know, yeah, God, you're, you're working. I'm, I'm glad you are. Maybe it's more of, God, whatever you're going to do, do it. Who am I to try to stand in your way? That's not going to happen anyway. So, God, do it, but give me the awareness. Give me the spiritual eyes to see what you're doing to see where you're acting, through conversations, through circumstances, through events unfolding. Help me see what you're up to, God, and just submit to whatever your will is, to whatever you're doing. Give me the faith to just be a part of what you're doing in this world. I would encourage you to keep praying this prayer. Keep looking for God. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 12. That's going to be our text today as we continue looking through some of the stories of Acts and especially how they relate to God's work in our world. Acts chapter 12 will be our text today. Well, back in 2015, in the middle of the night, in the wee early morning hours, Denver police got a call from frantic parents because they couldn't find their daughter. Their 19-year-old daughter, Taylor Gamble, lived with them, and when they got up in the morning, she was not in her bedroom. Turns out... That in the middle of the night, she got up, climbed out of her bed, stepped out of her bedroom, walked through the front door, and just started walking. The whole time, she was asleep. She was sleepwalking. She woke up nine miles later, sleepwalking for nine miles. I mean, I don't walk nine miles when I'm wide awake. I would have to be asleep to walk nine miles. Can you imagine sleepwalking for nine miles? When she woke up, she was actually fairly close to her uncle's house, so something inside of her was probably guiding her that direction. But she said, when I woke up, it took me a moment to realize I wasn't dreaming, that I was awake. And she said, pretty quickly I realized my feet were sore. She, she hadn't put on shoes. 
And so she had walked nine miles in her socks asleep. The news report cited a sleep specialist who said something about those who sleepwalk. He said, you know, you are, it's a subconscious state, but you look like you're awake. Your eyes are open, and yet they have this glassy look to them. Remarkable story. When I read it, I thought, how many times have I been sleepwalking through life? And maybe some of us find ourselves sleepwalking. Maybe we find ourselves just going through the motions, our senses dulled, our eyes glassy, living in a fog. And maybe as you think back on your life, or maybe as you look at your life right now, you go, yeah, yeah, the kids are young, I'm sleep deprived, <laughs> yeah, I am in a fog. Or maybe a certain time in your life where things were really stressful, or things at work were difficult, or things at home with the family were tough. Or maybe it's just a, a period of life where you just were sort of checked out, and you know, yeah, I know what it's like to sleepwalk through life. I know what it's like to live in a fog. Well, here's the thing. It is so difficult to see God when you're living in a fog. It is so difficult to see what God is up to, to see what God is doing when you can't see beyond your own circumstances, your own demands of your life, your own pressures and stressors. In our text today in Acts chapter 12, we see someone who is sleepwalking, sort of. And while he is walking around in a bit of a fog, God all the time, of course, is working, is orchestrating his plan, is arranging events, in fact, is intervening directly in this man's life to accomplish his will. Basically, God is doing what God does. And what does God do? Romans 8, 28, that well-known passage reminds us what God does. Because we read that God works in all things. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If you've been around the Bible very long at all, you've heard this verse before. Maybe you've quoted this verse. Maybe you have it on a coffee cup or hanging in your house somewhere. It's a well-known scripture, but it has caused a lot of confusion. You see, the text does not say that God causes all things. Nor does it say that all things are good. It also doesn't say that somehow magically all things work together. What does it say? It says God is active, working in all things, caring for us, for our good, but to accomplish his will, his purpose. God is always working to accomplish his, pur his perfect will and his purpose. What does that mean for us? It means that God can take our lives. He can take our victories, our defeats. He can take our missed opportunities and the good things in life. He can take our joys and our sorrows. He can take all the broken pieces and put them together into something beautiful, something meaningful. That's the God that we serve. But so often we miss it. We don't see it. We don't expect it. We don't know what it looks like when it happens. And we don't see it because we're sleepwalking through life, because we're living in a spiritual fog. Today, I hope that this text, Acts chapter 12, will do a couple of things. I hope that it will really challenge your idea of how God works in the world, because we are going to see God work in a very definite, undeniable way. 
But at the same time, we're going to see that when God works, things don't always turn out the way we think they should. Second thing, I I want you, and I hope we can all, really begin to develop or further develop a richer, a deeper theology of God's providence. What does it truly mean for God to be at work? For God to be working, for his hand to be on my life. Chapter 12 opens up with King Herod. This King Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great, who wasn't so great. He is the one that tried to kill Jesus by exterminating the, the baby boys. This King Herod in Acts 12 is the nephew of, of King Herod Agrippa, who also was not, or Antipas, who was also not great. This is Agrippa. Agrippa was the nephew of Antipas. Antipas is the one who put John the Baptist to death. And this King Herod Agrippa did not fall far from the tree because he wants to put the church to its death. He is threatened by this Jesus movement that is gaining momentum, that is getting followers, that is making a difference. He sees this and he wants to put an end to it. And so he has James, the brother of John, beheaded. Well, The bloodthirsty crowd loves this. They approve of this. And if we know anything, we know that rewarded behavior is repeated behavior when it comes to people. Herod saw that the crowd liked that he put James to death, and he said, Ha, I see where this can go. And so he has Peter arrested. Peter, one of the leaders of this movement. If I can kill him, then maybe that will squash the whole movement. That will silence all this talk of Jesus. So he has Peter arrested and he's ready to hold a mock trial I'm sure for Peter and then execute him just as he did James but he has to wait till after Passover incidentally Passover of course is the celebration of God's deliverance of his people held captive and now we have one of God's people Peter being held captive what will God do Every compelling story has conflict. Every interesting movie or book has tension somewhere in the plot. It doesn't take us long to feel the tension in this story. Look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 12. This is from the modern English version. Similar language is used in some of the ancient English versions, but it says this, About that time, King Herod extended his hands to harm certain ones from the church. I want you to bookmark that idea of extending hands. We will see it again in this chapter. And although the Greek words and the phrases are a little bit different in this chapter, they're not all the same, the meaning is very similar. It's this idea of extending hands, extending arms. In fact, it is a common theme throughout this story, throughout this chapter, one that holds it together and helps tell the story in a very compelling way. And so King Herod here is extending his hands in hostility toward the church. He's pointing a finger of accusation. He's shaking a fist of fury and violence. He's holding his power over them because he's threatened by them. Herod throws Peter into prison. And this isn't just any prison. This is our version of maximum security prison. This is Hannibal Lecter level security. He is guarded by four squadrons of four soldiers. You can do the math. 
probably. 16 soldiers assigned just to Peter. Make sure he doesn't go anywhere. Keep him here in jail. It's a good chance that, he's even, that Peter is even chained to two guards as he tries to sleep. Well, while he is in prison, what are his friends doing? What are the other faithful followers of Jesus doing? They're not plotting. They're not protesting. They're praying, really praying, fervently praying, earnestly praying, intently praying. And they're praying for Peter. And my guess is their prayers are these prayers that maybe you've prayed before. They're those prayers we pray out of desperation. When we hear the news, when we get the diagnosis, when we see what's on the horizon, and we know the dread is unavoidable. We know that something bad is happening. And what do we do? We beg God. God, change these circumstances. God, make it go away. God, heal this disease, cure this sickness. God, change this relationship. God, remove this conflict. You know those prayers. I think that's the prayers they're praying. They're praying for Peter. Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Some versions say they were praying without ceasing What's interesting is if you look at the original language, that, that phrase, earnestly praying, it literally means to extend your arms. There's that phrase again, to extend your arms. They are stretching their arms out, their hands out to God. They're reaching for God, imploring God, begging God, God, do something. Step in, help our friend and our leader, Simon Peter. They're reaching out their hands to God. So while Herod is stretching out his hands in violence against followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus are stretching their hands out to God in prayer. Let's check back in on Peter, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. When I read that, I, I... just something inside of me says, Peter, how are you sleeping through this? Now, I will admit, I am a sound sleeper. I've been told that I could sleep through a, you know, a cement truck backing up into the room. I can sleep through thunderstorms, no problem at all. And usually when my head hits the pillow, I am out. So maybe you're like that. Any sound sleepers here? Maybe that's you. There's others of you who are, you know, if a fly lands on the wall, you're like, what was that? What was that? I heard something. I don't know if Peter was a sound sleeper or a light sleeper, but he is sleeping here in prison, maybe chained between two guards. Certainly he's chained. He's between two guards. There's other guards watching over him. I'm sure he's exhausted, but that wouldn't be the most comfortable situation, would it? I mean, he doesn't have his sleep number mattress. He's not dialing up his favorite number and going to sleep. Conditions are difficult, but more than that, could you sleep? If you knew tomorrow you were going to die, if you knew tomorrow you were going to be executed, because Peter had to think that. Everyone knew that. It already happened to James. What was going to stop it from happening to Peter? He was arrested. They were going to throw together a mock trial. He was going to be convicted, and he would be killed. How do you sleep through something like that, knowing that that is on the other side of the sunrise 
Well, maybe it was more than exhaustion that helped Peter sleep. You may remember Jesus after he was crucified, after he was resurrected, before he ascended to heaven, he appeared to some of his disciples on that shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he ate breakfast with them over a campfire, and he used that time to really reconnect with Peter, the same Simon Peter we have here. They have this conversation about love and about feeding sheep and about what the future holds. And three different statements of love overshadowed three different denials from Peter. And Jesus says, I need you to feed my sheep. In other words, I need you to take care of things. I need you to take care of my people. I've got plans for you. And then Jesus says this in John chapter 21, verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. He's telling Peter this. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Here we see that phrase again. The words are a little bit different, but the idea is the same. He says, you are going to stretch out your hands. And this time it wouldn't be stretching out one's hands in violence over another people. It wouldn't even be stretching out your hands to God in prayer. What was Jesus talking about with Peter specifically? How he was going to die. Peter, you're going to die crucified. And of course, Jewish history and tradition tells us that that is in fact true. That Peter was crucified. But if you know your history, you know that Peter insisted that he would not die the same way, that he was unworthy to die the same way that his Lord and Master died. So he was crucified upside down. And as Jesus has this conversation with him, when does Jesus say this is going to happen? Did you see it in the text there? He says, when you are old. Do you remember he said, when you're young, you dress yourself. But when you are old, this is what's going to happen. So let's go back to the prison, back to the jail cell. Peter sleeping soundly. Is it possible that Peter could rest easy, even though he knew tomorrow he was going to be executed because tomorrow he knew he wasn't going to be executed? Did Peter find rest in his trust in Jesus? Was he confident that God was in control and that he could trust whatever Jesus said? And Jesus had just said not very long ago that, Peter, you're going to die when you're old. I wonder if before Peter dozed off, he thought, man, I'm I'm going to die. But it's not going to be tomorrow. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what plans he has. But Jesus told me that I'm going to die when I'm old. And I'm not old yet. So I can't wait to see. You see, when we know that God is in control, when we truly believe Romans 8, 28, that God is working in all things to accomplish his will for our good, then we can rest easy. We can rest easy. We can find an indescribable peace that transcends our circumstances because we know that God is trustworthy. We know that all of creation is held in the palm of the hand of God. And that he has our good. Even when we don't even know what our good is. Parents, you know how that is with your kids. They think they know what's best for them. You know what's best for them. 
God has our good in mind and his purpose in mind and he's able to weave those things together and accomplish his good will. God is trustworthy and we can rest easy in that truth. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Maybe you can check out for the rest of the message and you just need to be assured that I can trust God, that God is trustworthy. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know, as the saying goes, who holds tomorrow. Well, in our story, it's time for God to extend his hand. Verse 7, chapter 12. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter was sleepwalking, sort of. Maybe not literally, but he was in a fog, a bit dazed by all that was happening, and he wasn't fully alert. After all, it's not every night that an angel shows up to bail you out of jail. And finally, the fog begins to clear, and his vision becomes more focused, and he takes in all that has just happened. And he says this in verse 11. Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know. Now I know. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now I know. He's fully alert and he recognizes the hand of God. We'll come back to that phrase in just a minute. Meanwhile, Peter slips away into the night and he ends up back at the place where his friends and fellow Christians are doing what? You remember what they're doing? They're praying for him earnestly. They're reaching out to God, extending arms to God, praying on behalf of Peter. He shows up. He knocks on the outer door. A servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door. She sees him on the ring doorbell and she recognizes him. She actually hears his voice. She recognizes his voice. She's so excited. She can't believe it. Is that Peter? She runs back. She doesn't even open the door. She runs back to the crowd inside and says, you won't believe who's at the door. Look, I saw him right here on the doorbell. Look, he's right there. Peter's there. They didn't believe it either. Now, what had they been praying about? Who had they been praying for? Peter. He shows up and they don't believe it. Finally, they're convinced. The whole time, of course, Peter's just standing at the door. Hello, hello. Anybody home? Finally, they let him in. They let him in. And he tells them what happened. And he gives all the credit to God. God did this. Why are we surprised when God answers our prayers? (laughs) Sometimes we're shocked when we see God doing something, even after we've asked him to do something. They were surprised. Peter showed up. They got the answer they were looking for. The next morning, 
according to the text, there was no small commotion among the guards, among the soldiers, as you can imagine. The 16 guards are looking around like, hey, where is Peter? He was, you were responsible. You were right there beside him. What happened? How did he get? And they aren't sure what happened. And Herod is not happy at all because he had planned an execution that day. Well, the executioner still got to work that day because Herod had the guards put to death because they were responsible for Peter. And then Luke tells us the, the fate of this awful king. Whereas Peter gave credit to God and he said, God did this, King Herod tried to take the place of a god. He, t- he tried to take credit as deity himself when the people claimed that he was. And that's when God, the one and only God, who didn't take kindly to Herod's pride, stepped in and exerted a little bit of justice. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, if you had to draw up how you want to go, my guess is that would not be the way you want to go. And I don't know what that looked like. I mean, you know, when I hear worm, I think of the kind I used to use when I was a kid fishing, you know, in the pond. I don't know if... I mean, most scholars think it was like an internal parasite, which makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I don't know, but I know it wasn't, it couldn't have been pleasant. And now Herod is gone. In verse 24, which is so important, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's not just an add-on in the chapter. That is the end game. That is the purpose, the will of God that God has been working toward and working for as he orchestrates these events to empower his people to spread the word of God that the church would flourish. You see, his purpose wasn't someone's agenda. It wasn't a human's plans or will. It wasn't even Peter's plans necessarily because our plans are all limited by so many things, wisdom, experience, divine knowledge, and usually selfishness. No, this was God's holy purpose. So what does all of this mean? What's the takeaway? What difference does this make reading this interesting story in Acts chapter 12? As we talk about and think about the work of God in our lives and in the world, let me ask you, what would it take for you to declare what Peter declared, now I know without a doubt? What would it take for you to say to your friends, to other people out loud, now I know without a doubt that God is real, that God is working in this world? What what would it look like? I mean, you can probably imagine some things you would like to see, you would need to see some visible outward signs. Peter makes this declaration because he saw chains fall, doors open, guards distracted or looking the other way or asleep. He saw himself step out into freedom. And he said, I, I know with, without a doubt, this is God. God's behind this. Do you notice the visible signs of God's work in your life? Do you look for those things? Are you spiritually aware of what God might be doing? Or are you walking around in a fog? 
Are you sleepwalking through life? Your spiritual senses so dull, your eyes so glassy that you can't see. Yeah, you see things happen. You hear stories. You see how things kind of fit together, and boy, that's odd. That seems like a coincidence. You see, the truth is, genuine faith, it sees evidence, not coincidence. It sees evidence. It sees the fingerprints of God, not just happenstance. What do you see? My guess is, if we were in Peter's place, we would have said the same thing. You know, if you see a visible outward manifestation of the work of God that is undeniable, that is unquestionable, then you probably too would say, now I know without a doubt that God is real, that God is working, that God is active, that he cares, that he's doing something. Here's where the story gets interesting. Here's where we kind of leave the shallow end of the pool, start to dip into the deep end. There's something else that happened in this chapter, wasn't there? Separated by just a few verses. What else happened significant in this chapter? James. Remember what happened to James? He was beheaded. The same king, King Herod, who died by worms, killed James. James was killed by the sword. And you can't just set that aside as we talk about God's work in the world. We can't just excuse that or dismiss that or forget that. We have to deal with the tension of this chapter and of the events of this chapter. Why did James have to die? Peter didn't die. Why did God rescue Peter, but he let James die? Was God late showing up that day? Was he busy doing something else? I mean, if anyone should have lived, it should have been James, right? I mean, he was in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Yeah, Peter too, but Peter always spouted off and said things he shouldn't. James was, he was solid. Didn't he deserve to be spared as well? Didn't he deserve to live? Shouldn't he be shielded from suffering? You see, God may be working in your life, but just because God is working doesn't mean he's going to shield you from suffering. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? You see, when I read Romans 8, 28, and I know that God is working in all things for my good, I want to define what my good is. God, let me tell you what my good is. It's a long life. It's a good life. It's lots of physical, material blessings. It's good relationships, healthy family, good job. It's all these things. That is my good. That makes me feel good. God, that makes me happy. That's got to be my good. And we wrestle with this idea that God can still be working and my life be difficult. That God can still care about me and I still go through difficult times. That God's will is going to be done and I feel pain and sorrow and injustice and experience things that aren't fair because people around me don't have cancer. People around me aren't going through this marital conflict. People around me can't continue to struggle in their job. People around me haven't lost their loved one. In one of his final conversations with his disciples, Jesus prepared them for his own death and what they would do after his death. And here's what he said, John 16, 33. I've told you these things 
so that in me you may have peace. Peace is what is for your good. Peace. He goes on. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What does he say to them? And by extension to us as followers of Jesus, you are going to have trouble. Expect it. Count on it. You will be targeted. You will be tormented. You will be persecuted. You will be punished. Your lives and your deaths will bear witness to what God is doing to build the church, he says to them. And Jesus even told James, if you remember that story where James and John asked for those seats of honor, Jesus even told James, you're going to drink from this cup of suffering. You're going to die a martyr's death. Part of the reason we miss God's work is because our expectations of God are a little bit misguided sometimes. We think we always have the same purpose that God has. We expect to be delivered from all those things that cause us pain in this world. And when we don't and we aren't, we think God is absent. We equate the work of God with the happiness of my life. We want the prison doors to open like they did for Peter. We do not want the sword to fall like it did on James. Did you know the word for witness in the New Testament? It's the same word for martyr. Isn't that interesting? Especially in light of our conversation about Peter and James. James was the first apostle martyred. Peter, of course, in this story was spared so that he could continue to witness for Christ. But the truth is, both of them were witnesses, weren't they? One in life, one in death. And what a powerful testimony they both provided. One was set free from physical prison. One was set free from life in this fallen world. But both of them found freedom. So what God does in your life, it may be different than what he does in someone else's life. God may cure you of that sickness. He may not. God may deliver you from that enemy. He may not. He may rescue you from that difficult situation like he did Peter, or he may not, as we see with James. But one thing you can know without a doubt, God is working to set you free. God is working to set you free. That's his will, and that is for your good. The question is, will you keep sleepwalking through life, or will you wake up, open your eyes, and declare, now I know, without a doubt, that God is real, that God is working to set me free. This morning, that freedom can be yours in Christ. If you haven't given your life to him, don't wait anymore. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, confess that faith, express that faith, live that faith. Repent of your sins, let Jesus wash them away, be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ, raised to live this new life with a new purpose, a new hope, a new home and new freedom.
do that today. If we can encourage you and pray for you, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's right behind me off this hallway. You can exit out of any of these doors, go around, and you can find them there. They would love to encourage you and pray for you. If you want to visit with them, if you have a need or a, or a praise even, share that with our shepherds. Or you can come down to the front. We as a church family will wrap arms around you. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I have a living hope. I have a future. God has a plan for me. Of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Your word is faithful, mighty in power. God will deliver me. Of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word, I put my hope in your holy word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're truly thankful for this Lord's Day that you've given to us for us to come together and worship you. Lord, 